This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody off. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall, the teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars, and that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the July 17th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter, Randall Rand. And today we are talking to Jake Seeley, the senior writer for The Athletic Fantasy. You can find him on the All In podcast on any podcast platform you use. He's also the president of the Flex League's Fantasy League of Experts. And he knocked me out of the damn playoffs on the last week of the regular season last year as well. (laughs) One of the most accurate fantasy experts at any site, any state, any country you can find. Foundational fantasy football Twitter follow at All In Kid. Jake, honor as always to have you here in the mailbag. Welcome back, my friend. Oh, thanks. You're too kind. Yeah, I forgot about that from last year, the final week. But if it makes you feel any better, I got booted out by, I think it was, oh, it was it was Jen Ryan booted me out because she was going to win the entire time. It was going to be in anyway, but because she got upset in the last week and lost, she had a higher point total than I did for the final seed. So her loss actually knocked me out of the playoffs of that one. And can you explain to me how we let Joe Pizzapia win that league? <laughs> he drafted Andrew Luck. I, 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 don't I still look that. back at his team and I'm I'm still baffled by like how he was able to go through with that. I just, I'm like, how about the fact that like what it was? I had Christian McCaffrey, Lamar Jackson, and somebody else, and I still failed to like even win that I just I forgot who was the other person it was like I had like a trifecta of studs and I somehow still didn't win that that's because you predict these players we'll get into you nailed Lamar Jackson the whole season I was listening back to us talking last year you said you had him initially when you did your rankings at like seven and you thought that was too high so you you nailed it it's just luck get getting to that position is skill and then of course you need luck in the fantasy playoffs right Oh, 100%. Actually, the funny thing was even before I talked to you, I did it on my own podcast, is my initial run and ride projections, he came out as QB2. And I said, <laughs> whoa, this is too high. Uh, well, trust your own projections. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Darn right. And you're one of the most accurate people around. Fantasy Pros just came out with the, the accuracy rankings for multi-year, and you are at the top. So I am taking notes here. I'm going to have that, that gif of that scribe <laughs> here, writing everything down. Just follow what Jake says, folks, and, and you'll be fine. 
We're going to start off with the FFPC stat attack of the show. Today, it's going to be centered on Calvin Ridley. He's becoming sort of a polarizing wide receiver in fantasy, debating on the upside. He enters the season without Mohamed Sanu, and I used the Rotoviz game splits app, which is tremendous. And I looked at the splits in the last two years with Mohamed Sanu and without Mohamed Sanu. Without Mohamed Sanu there, he's averaging 17.8 PPR fantasy points per game, 82 receiving yards, over eight targets, and about six receptions, as well as a half a touchdown every single game. So he's been the PPR wide receiver 26 and then wide receiver 18, respectively, each of the last two seasons. A lot of experts love Ridley. They project him taking the next step towards a fantasy wide receiver one, even though Julio's there. Some are skeptical, however. They say has limited burst, agility, and then last year, low yards after catch. So he's, he ranked just 72nd among all wide receivers last year, only 131 yards after catch. Ridley Jake is now going at wide receiver 14 in the FFPC Best Ball Leagues. Where are you on Ridley, and can he get to that top 12 ranking overall? That's way too high for me, and it's not so much the fact that I have a problem with Calvin Ridley. To go back to one of the last things you said on that, I think sometimes people, now that we have the advanced metrics and stats and you know all the ratings when it comes to basing out players' athleticism versus everybody else, I think people sometimes get caught up too much in one or two stats. Uh, I always referenced David Montgomery just last year coming out of college, and everybody talked about all the broken tackles, and well, that's one stat. Obviously, there was a lot more to the story about David Montgomery. Uh, with Calvin Ridley, the reason I say that is because not every receiver has to be great at everything. The perfect example of this is Des Bryant. Des Bryant was never a great separator, ever. Yep. Yep. But he was one of the better wide receivers in the NFL for some time because he was just so dominant at body position and attacking the ball at his high point and just position himself in general. Like, Sure, he doesn't separate, but he knows where to be where the defender doesn't come into play. Uh, with Calvin Ridley, he has some of that. He's not exactly Des Bryant, but that's why I bring that up. So I say all that to say I am a Calvin Ridley fan. I still think that's way too high for one reason, and it's going to come back to what we've kind of talked about with Lamar Jackson. It's my projections. Uh, looking back at you know those the splits without Sanu, we have to remember that some of those did come with no Austin Hooper during the last part of the year last year once Good Sanu point. was off in New England. So in those games, that was one of his that was actually his highest target game. I think it was 12 or 14 uh, and then two of his higher games there. So it skews it a little bit. And I understand the appeal for it. But I think if you look at last year and you say he'll have some games like that and then he'll have some where maybe it's just not his game and you kind of take last year as a good line. Well, if you project that out to 16 games, you get somewhere in the one teens for targets. I think that's a very fair number because he's not overtaking Julio. I think to be a wide receiver one in the top 12, he has to surpass Julio. And I don't think that's happening yet. Julio is just still too dang good. He's not at the, the downfall of his career yet. So I say in the 110 to 120 range of targets and you take his 69, 70% reception percentage and you get about 75, 80 receptions, which is great because that'll be about 1,000 yards and about seven touchdowns or so. But that's wide receiver 20-ish with the Tyler Lockett's and the Sutton's and the McLaurin's and the Keenan Allen's of the world. If you want to take him at the top of that tier, that's fine. I just don't see how he has much room to return on that investment if you're taking him as high as 14. Yeah, Calvin Ridley, our FFPC stat attack here. FFPC folks, home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry. Dynasty, best ball. I will never stop doing best ball drafts. And of course, the world famous FFPC main event. If you want to learn more or join a league, go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. We have a ton of tools here at Rotoviz designed specifically for that FFPC domination. I agree with you. I like Ridley a lot. I think he can take the next step forward. 
But looking at your Scott Fishbowl team, I understand why as well. You took Julio early and you have beautiful symmetry here, Jake. This is like a Mr. Miyagi Danielson here in the Transformer <laughs> division. You went running back, quarterback, wide receiver, running back, quarterback, wide receiver. So talk about your Scott Fishbowl team there where you got Saquon Barkley at the 104. How did he fall that far? Yeah, Ezekiel Elliott went before him. So it was, uh, I think it was Lamar Jackson or Patrick Holmes, whichever one of the quarterbacks, and then CMC and Zeke. And I, I, so the Zeke thing doesn't surprise me because somebody asked me this on Twitter, and I said, I, I, I could see the logic behind it. And I hate to say this is the world we're in, but he said, hey, he already got COVID. Do I kind of take that and say, <laughs> well, he already got it, so I don't have to worry as much? I said, you know, they haven't proven whether or not you can get it a second time or anything like But I understand your point. Like, if you want to use that as, hey, he's already out of the concern realm of things, I get it. But I think that's why, you know, some people are thinking that. So that's why I got Barkley at the 104. But, yeah, this this draft really came down to value plus upside is, look, we're playing against 1,440 teams. You have to have almost the perfect team. So I went into it with, hey, look, I'm going to look for the best values. Everybody out there by now who do, who already does know me, and if you don't, I am the go get your running back in the first two rounds, get a bell cow, and then still keep attacking running back, especially this year. Wide receiver is so ridiculous this year. Uh, but this is not how the draft fell for me. I mean, you talked about my wide receivers. I mean, I started hammering wide receiver like Devontae Parker super late, uh, Corey Davis super, super, super late. A.J. Brown was a value for me. And it just kind of felt A.J. Green was there. So it just was like, you know what? I'm going to go with the upside. I'm going to have to hit on a boulder or two at running back. And if not, you know, it's 1,440 teams. If you don't have the best team, you're not going to be in the playoffs anyway. A.J. Brown in round six and then A.J. Green in round nine. I mean, the wide receivers would just push down here. I'm convinced, Jake, I have the worst Scott Fishbowl team out there. (laughs) So you're probably going to win it. You never know. I ended up being concerned because what happened is we're in Rubik's Cube. We are the slowest drafting division. We may not be the slowest anymore, maybe second, but for a while we were. So I'm watching all these other divisions go and seeing quarterbacks fly off the draft board. So after Barkley at the 102, I said, you know what? I'm going to take Matt Ryan here at the turn, lock it up. Well, sure enough, I think Josh Allen went, and then I got Matthew Stafford with the next wraparound pick two two picks later. The quarterbacks just didn't go. I just I sit here, I look at you getting Kyler Murray. He's going to be running all over the place, and I have stationary Matt Ryan. I like Matt Ryan, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I, I just think that was a terrible pick. Look, hey, it's it's all about the, the predicting of this format, too, for everybody out there that doesn't know, that doesn't play Scott Fishbowl. It does value a little bit more to the passing touchdowns, so the rushing quarterbacks who also have turnovers like Josh Allen, uh, those guys get dinged a little bit in this format. So always pay attention to your format. I'll say the one thing, Mike, though, is the one that really ticked me off is that 1407, I got sniped on AJ. I wanted all the AJs. I wanted AJ Dillon. I was going to have all three of them. (laughs) Boy, I tell you, Aaron Jones, I talked about him last week with Patrick Darty. He's very polarizing because you never know. AJ Dillon, if he gets the goal line touches there, people are going to be up in arms because Jones is going so early. Well, it was sneak preview to one of your later questions. Oh, here we go. Look at this. See, <laughs> just like the amazing Kreskin, he's the amazing Sealy. He, he predicts what's going to happen in the future. And that's why I'm glad I have you back because last year you nailed Lamar Jackson when you came on NFL MVP. You also talked about Josh Jacobs. That was the title of the pod last year. And you were right on that one. He was the highest rated rookie RB. He had five top 12 RB performances and he finished as the overall PPR RB 15, even though he missed some time with an injury. So I'm on, I'm going to go on the couch, be my therapist. 
What is the deal with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I just have a block, Jake, where I, I get nervous about these rookie running backs. Now we have COVID, but is it just that simple? We talked about it last week. Patrick Darty said Damian Williams, he feels, is a value at RB31. COVID concerns, are they valid or are we just idiots, Jake? Or should we really even doubt a superb pass-catching running back with first-round draft capital in the Chiefs' backfield? Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple ways to look at this. I, I'll give you the positives and I'll come back to that. So uh, there's like we heard Andy Reid, we heard Patrick Mahomes, we heard how much they raved and ranted and went on about Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Let's talk about Clyde Edwards-Helaire as a prospect and in general, the Brian Westbrook comparisons, all those type of things. The immediate pushback that you usually get is Andy Reid doesn't use rookie running backs, but actually, you know, not even taking Kareem Hunt because everybody knows Spencer Ware got hurt and that Kareem Hunt probably would have taken a few games to take over Spencer Ware's job at that point. So. The fact was that situation presented itself. Andy Reid still went with Kareem Hunt, didn't try to use another veteran. So that's kind of a positive. But go back to him drafting and having LaShawn McCoy. Now, LaShawn McCoy didn't get 20 touches per game, but he was his lead option as a rookie. Like people just dismissed the fact that like Andy Reid did use him. And I bring that up for a very good comparison is I don't need Clyde Edwards Hilaire to have 20 touches per game. I don't want him to. Like that honestly, I don't that's not how he's going to survive. He's very much like Alvin Kamara. Just give me 15 to 16 per game. And that's all I have him for. I have him for about 240 touches total this year, about 50 receptions. And the biggest thing about that is that might not sound like a big number. It might actually sound like a big number to some people, but the 240 touches say I'll give you running back blank take the name off the jersey. I'll give you running back blank, getting 240 touches in the Chiefs' backfield, and everybody like, give him to me. RB1, that's what he's going to be. Because on top of that, he has double-digit touchdowns in my projections because he's getting those touches. Now, obviously, this is where I'm going to come back on it and say, yes, Damian Williams, I still agree, is also a good value because as of today, if training camp doesn't even happen, if the preseason goes from two games to it's not happening at all, there's only so much anybody can do on Zoom and field practices and stuff like that. So I will discount Clyde over Hilaire a little bit at that point. If there is no actual game play of these teams, I think that he comes down and falls into like Miles Sanders of last year, where now you let somebody else draft them high because of the hype, and then you wait for week five or six, buy them low, and then watch them turn into Miles Sanders into RB1 for the second half. So it really comes down to pure talent, and it's not a question. Look, Damian Williams is great when he's getting 20 touches per game, but how many times have the Chiefs alone tried to find another option for Damian Williams? It seems to me they're not even sold on him despite how good he's looked. Folks, you have to listen to Jake here because he also talked about Miles Sanders last year. And Miles Sanders' ADP, we were talking around the same time, was skyrocketing. And you said, pump the brakes. You think it's going to be Jordan Howard early and Miles Sanders may come on second half of the year. And that's exactly what happened. So you think, Jake, could be similar where Damian Williams starts the year and you're getting enough touches to make Edwards Hilaire relevant, but maybe towards the end of the season, he gets the more majority of the touches. 100%. And you know, that's the biggest thing, too, for everybody out there that might be new, coming through your podcast to find me when you go through my projections or rankings you don't have to draft them there like because i have clyro schroler as an rb1 like miles sanders last year as a perfect saying miles sanders finished at rb1 but he wasn't that until the second half you don't have to draft them there you can still take them in the third fourth fifth round but just know that this is the upside that you're looking at and this is where you use adp versus rankings and then combine the two to come out with a great draft are you challenging D'Angelo Williams in NBA Jam on Twitter? Did I see that correctly? I mean, it, to me, it's the greatest arcade game of all time. <laughs> yeah, so 100%. 
So D'Angelo Williams and I met a long time ago trying to play Call of Duty, and we played one time, and I told him after that he owed me $50 because we played one time. And I went and, I went and specifically bought the game to go play with him. <laughs> and we played one time, and I said, dude, you, you owe me 50 bucks." So I gave him a hard time. Um, he's been on my podcast. We've actually become decent friends, and we both bought the NBA Jam with the tournament edition and hang time that you could play the arcade one-up cabinets. And we finally played two nights ago. Uh, we did play. I did lose uh, to find out that you got to turn the computer. You got to turn on tournament. What is it? Tournament mode. You got to have to turn on. Otherwise, you get the for everybody out there that's played Mario Kart when you're like in last place and you get the blue shells and the lightning and stuff like that. And you yes. get that wraparound rubber band effect that happens on NBA Jam, if you don't remember. So I had a, both times I played on both games. I lost uh, closely, but both games I had a 10 point lead in the third quarter. And then he was freaking Gary Payton's hitting fadeaway threes in Alonzo Mourning's face and it's just it was so ridiculous I I was yelling he's laughing um but the good news is we challenged him and his buddy who he said his buddy's like super great uh his name's Romeo Mike Wright of the fantasy footballers and I challenged him last night uh we played them in two games and we beat him like 60 to 30 and 70 to 30 <laughs> so we just stomped the living hell out of them so the comeuppance had been made Anthony Comer was a star running back for Boston College when I was there, and we were in the weight room. I was running track. He's on the football team. He's talking about NBA Jam. I jumped in and I said, "I'll destroy you in NBA Jam." So, I mean, here's this guy, right? Huge guy, six foot two, ripped guy, comes by my dorm unannounced and goes, "Let's go." I end up destroying him. But what's what's funny is even though he's losing by like 20, 30 points, he's pausing the game as his player is dunking and talking trash. You know, <laughs> he's staring at me going, how about that? I go, you're losing by 30 points. So I think there is a feeling among the running backs that they can take us an NBA jam. But folks, you better be ready. He needed his own joystick. He was bringing his own possible controller wow. as well. Wow, that that's really big. Actually, you know what? And I, To go back to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire real quick. When I had D'Angelo on the podcast, I asked him about this. I asked him about the whole rookies are running back. I was like, hey, you're a running back. You've been in this situation. And he told me, he goes, I'll just let you know right now, if everybody's ready, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if everybody's ready to start the season, you don't draft the first round running back and then not play him. Those were his exact words. Oh, putting that one down. That That's as good that's as it paraphrased gets. Exactly. And there's a first round <laughs> draft capitals, first round draft capital. Absolutely. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events, and there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. You can get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out the odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even the league championships. Or you can check out our daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Hello folks, Colin Kelly here from RotoViz Overtime, a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a RotoViz NFL pass right now on the rotoviz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools and sets you up perfect for the NFL season. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRADIO at checkout or by going to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. 
And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can rate and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, Road of His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. I have a question here from Eric in Kansas City. He says, love the show. Mailbag's a staple of his podcast rotation. He said, can you ask Jake what formats he's comfortable taking in early QB? Because he's heard you in other podcasts talk about how he avoids taking a tight end or a QB in a non-superflex or premium, non-premium format. But in superflex leagues, he wants to know when you're starting two QBs, where are you taking it? Like Scott Fishbowl with tight end premium. Does that change your philosophy enough, specifically, let's say, with the second quarterback? So how do you do this, the first and second quarterbacks there in non-traditional formats? Yeah, so I'm glad you said the tight end part of that, too, because I actually just put an article on hey Athletic today about how much I am so sick and tired and hate tight end premium, the one and a half points per, per mm-hmm. catch. So if you want to go read that, I crap all over it. I'm so sick of it. But in any case... <laughs> To help you out there, well, it's just just go read it. Uh, so Superflex, look, I'll even go to regular redraft. At some point, quarterbacks are worth taking off the board. If Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes fall to the late third, so I have an early fourth round pick, I've thought about it before. They usually don't make it that far. Uh, and now once you get to the sixth round, you start talking about the Wilsons, Dax, and Watsons of the world. Again, obviously I'm talking about more experienced leagues where quarterbacks fall and fall and fall. I'll think about it around the sixth or seventh. But in general, the reason why is because we use it every single year. And yes, you do have to find the right ones, but often that's what Mike and I and the industry are here for to help you try to find the ones like Jameis Winston last year, who was undrafted, if everybody remembers. Uh, Daniel Jones for the second half of the season. I mean, Lamar Jackson was going in the eighth round last year. Um, so that's the real reason for it. But it can work. And in Superflex, it's tough because there's no real this is the blanket statement I can give you. And I answer this question a lot in my articles when people ask about that is super flexes. I took Kyler Murray in the second round. And then my second quarterback was Daniel Jones at the top of the fifth. It's a game. And unfortunately you have to read the draft because Daniel Jones at the top of the fifth might be the top of the sixth in some of the Scott fish bowls. He might be in the fourth in some of the Scott fish bowls. The way I'll say it, and this will kind of be the blanket statement for it, is I want to always in a super flex two quarterback league, I always want to get a quarterback inside the top seven to eight range. That's kind of like that big tier. And then I want my second one before I get to around QB or 15, 16 in my tier. So I want to come out with two that are in the high end QB one two QB one territory only because if you don't get, and I know 15, 16 might sound arbitrary, but it's really not because there's a drop-off in that range where you get to the security versus the upside, and it's about those runs. If you don't grab one there, you might get hit with the run, and then all of a sudden you're looking at Sam Darnold with QB 25 or something like that. So you got to read the room and try to play it and try to predict a run, and I'll give you a perfect example also with the Scott Fishbowls. I took Higby early for some people. I took Higby in the seventh round worrying about a run of Evan Ingram and stuff like that coming off after him. And I had about 16 picks to my next pick and Ingram was the only one that went. And then my next pick, I took Devontae Parker and that's when Hunter Henry came off the board. Austin Hooper came off the board, Hayden Hurst, who I love and some other like that. So 
you try to predict it, and sometimes you're going to get it wrong. I got it wrong. I got it right with Kyler Murray, and I got it wrong with Tyler Higby in the same draft. Yeah, two key points you made there, which are great. Number one, you have to read the room. You have to see what's going on. And number two, just because you have somebody ranked highly doesn't mean that's where you take them in the draft. If you want a player and you read the room and know you can get them two rounds earlier, even if they're ranked highly for you, wait on it. It's about getting your guys, but don't just follow blindly the tier and ranking systems of anyone because you have to incorporate what's going on in the draft room. 100%. I actually, there's another, and I'm not to trying to pimp myself like crazy here, but I, I wrote an article last year, which is still up there. You can find it, is it's why I hate tears in football. Like, I still talk about them and use them, but I hate them for that reason because a lot of times, to your point, people will take somebody that's the last one or two in a tier yep. instead of reading what's the value on the board of that. That's still, that might be the right one for the tier, but because of how the draft is going, that might be the worst value of what's still on the board. Preach, Jake. Preach. Amen. Great job there. The Colts are a fascinating fantasy team this year. There's so many key players here that are, are sort of the, not the top of their respective positions, but they have a lot of variance on how they can finish. So I wanted to get into to some players here on Indianapolis. First one is rookie running back Jonathan Taylor. Great metrics, fumbling issue in college, but he could be that feature back, maybe like a Miles Sanders second half of the year, or maybe right away, who knows, behind a great offensive line. But his ADP keeps rising, where now he's inside the top 24 running backs. Taylor impact and redraft this season, and, and where are you thinking of targeting him uh, when you go to your drafts? Yeah, so first, when it comes to the fumbling thing, and I know you're not coming out and saying that, it's just a valid point in general. I'm just going to poo-poo that for everybody out there that's so scared about it. Uh, Tiki Barber had that for years, yep. and then was one of the best running backs for three straight seasons. Actually had a better three-year peak than Terrell Davis, who was in the Hall of Fame. I argue that all the time. Not that I want Tiki Barber in the Hall of Fame, but just to bring that up. Uh, Adrian Peterson, huge fumbling issue huge. for a lot of his career. Yeah. Uh, Chris Carson, as of right now, fumbling issue. It, it's not always the death toll or death nail or whatever phrase you want to use for that that people make it out to be. It is obviously legit, legitimate concern, and obviously it is a little bit more concerning when you talk about rookies. I will say that, but don't go too crazy with it. I think the biggest concern with Taylor is just that I'm not the biggest Mac fan. Uh, actually, when he came out of college, I said he tries to do too much with every single play, and that's actually to his detriment. Uh, and they have a great pass catcher, Naheem Hines. That's my bigger concern than anything, is that Naheem Hines could be the poor man's Austin Eckler this year. And as much as I like Jonathan Taylor, and I actually agree with what I asked him at the combine, he said that people, the biggest stigma of him is coming out of college is he coming from Big Ten and he can't pass catch. And he hates that because people just think, oh, Wisconsin can't catch balls. And he's better than people think. Now, is he Austin Eckler? Absolutely not. But is he better than Leonard Fournette just as a dump off option? I think so. All that being said, he's a rookie with two proven talents, not to his level. He is definitively better than both. But that's a clouded backfield. That is somebody with Philip Rivers who could dump off a lot to Naheem Hines. I love Taylor, but if you want to talk about somebody who could definitively be Miles Sanders in the second half of the season, I think he's the one where now that he's getting close to RB2, don't even waste your time. Let somebody else do it. Get frustrated with the committee and then go jump in and buy low. You talked about Rivers. They gave him $25 million, Jake, for one year. They didn't give it to him to hand the ball off every time. Any value here with Phillip Rivers going inside a dome now with Indianapolis as a late round QB choice? I see this in a super flex. Yeah. And I hate to say that because it almost sounds like a crutch argument, but I'm going to go back to something you said earlier in the episode is quarterbacks that don't run. This is kind of scope. If you think about it, I mean, we're talking about quarterbacks that even putting up two, three, maybe even 400 rushing yards. I mean, that, that has a lot of value in fantasy where if you don't run, which it's starting to be very few that are, it's the river Stafford's, you know, Tom Brady's of the world. You're almost, it's all on your arm. And then if it's not there, 
I mean, you go from a very slim margin of, you know, Josh Allen's a perfect example. The dude <laughs> threw, didn't even hit 4,000 yards by a long shot. And he only threw for, what was it? I think 2,200 or 2,200, 22 touchdowns off the top of my head. Is, is, is that correct? Yep. Yes. Yeah, it's all on the rushing upside. Daniel Jones is a good one. You know, four touchdowns in games, but he was able to balance it out by some of his rushing. Gardner Minshew, rushing. So if Rivers, yes, there is value there, but Rivers has to get back to the Rivers of throwing for 4,500 yards and 28 to 30 touchdowns to really start to hit that tight end or QB1 value, and that's the problem. And now if you just knock off a 10% of that, he falls all the way down to like QB16. So yes, there's value, but at the same time, I don't think I'm going to be on a lot of these quarterbacks as much as I love Matthew Stafford too, just because it's all on their arm with zero upside in the legs. Yeah, my favorite rushing stat is that Ryan Fitzpatrick with 243 rushing yards was more than any Dolphin running back by about 40 yards there. So if, <laughs> if, if you look at the top rushing quarterbacks, Lamar, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson had 413, Gardner Minshew was 344, which is sneaky, Wilson Jones, Prescott, absolutely the rushing upsides there. So if you're going to go with, with Rivers, he's got to put a lot of passing yards up there to justify it. What about his top receiving target, T.Y. Hilton? Veteran wide receiver, usually a wide receiver two or better, but he is on the wrong side of 30. He's the predominant wide receiver in the offense. He was wide receiver 14 in 2018. Last year, mm-hmm. quad strain, calf tear. Wide receiver 25 right now in FFPC best ball formats. How do you think he's going to do? And then you talked about Hines a little bit. What about Michael Pittman as a rookie? Paris Campbell. What do you think about the receiving core there in Indianapolis? Yeah, 100%. So let's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backtrack it a little bit and kind of flip the question on you. If I told you Phillip Rivers was going to throw for, uh, let's say, 4,300 yards and 29 touchdowns. T.Y. Hilton was 95% of what he used to be. Would you not be thinking of him as a borderline wide receiver one? I'm doing the T.Y. right now, Jake. I'm doing the T.Y. right over my head. Yeah. Uh, And that's why I'm on T.Y. Hilton. I have a lot of him so far because he's being like, we're, we're seeing him fall down to wide receiver three in some drafts range tier wise. And I don't get it because if he is 95 percent, I say 95 because I'm saying 100 percent healthy, but maybe he's lost a step, the half a step. He's not quite the T.Y. Hilton as prime. You mentioned the age, but he's still T.Y. Hilton. He's still an amazing threat downfield, better than most. And the good you bring up Michael Pittman and we will include him in this conversation is the Colts are very high on. We've heard it the entire time. One of the biggest reasons he's going to play outside all the time. This is going to keep T.Y. Hilton the ability to play some in the slot. If they go three wide, obviously that brings in Paris Campbell out of the slot the entire time because that's where he's going to play. But you get T.Y. Hilton not having to play outside 100% of the time with the addition of Pittman, having some other threats on this team, not have T.Y. Hilton bracketed and double covered and two safeties, one safety over the top. Like, there's just options on this team now. A healthy Jack Doyle, you know, Naheem Hines at the backfield. There's options, and the options... You know, you always talk about some teams, you see that the, the, the arguments go both ways. There's too many mouths to feed, and then, oh, this is going to open it up. This is one of the ones where they had no mouths to feed last year, and this is going to open things up for T.Y. Hilton on top of it. So 70 receptions isn't a high bar for him. Well, guess what? T.Y. Hilton at 70 receptions is going to be over 1,000 yards and six or seven touchdowns. I am all over T.Y. Hilton as a wide receiver, too, and upside for more. And I like to wait on tight end. Last one here. Jack Doyle, I mean, doesn't wow you with the metrics, but Ebron's gone. Andrew Luck loved Jack Doyle. Rivers with Hunter Henry. Value here for Doyle late? 
I absolutely think so. I have them in my last year's dumpster pile, whatever you want to call them. Because, <laughs> yeah, great article. Well, yep. This thing is like everybody like wanted Jack Doyle to happen and wanted Jack Doyle to happen and wanted Jack Doyle to happen. And then, you know, he's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with other people in that tight end situation. You mentioned Ebron and even guys before him. Uh, you know, look, he's got an opportunity here. And to go back to the wide receivers, we're still talking about. Michael Pittman being a rookie and Paris Campbell essentially being a rookie. He's almost like a red shirt rookie after what happened last year. So you're asking a lot of where Jack Doyle could conceivably be the number two receiving game option. They throw out Naeem Hines and he might actually be the number two, but for actual receivers slash tight end. And yeah, I'm with you. I think that you could say if Jack Doyle puts up 70, 80 receptions, 700 plus yards, that's going to put him inside the top 10. As a cereal connoisseur, can you rank your top three favorite cereals? And please, I am fully aware that Oreo cereal is now persona non grata in this discussion. <laughs> I was so disappointed with that. All the re- re- like that was the most tasteless, tongue chewed up. Like uh, I, I don't know who recommended. I'm sorry, all uh, multiple people who did. Yeah, the top three were easy. One actually jumped into the top three, uh, actually, after funny. So I liked Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but my biggest problem. So you're re- you're referencing my uh, cereal rankings for everybody out there. I actually didn't just do it off like, oh, this is what I think. I gave it seven <laughs> scoring metrics, including originality, taste, consistency, which is like you remember those like little burnt pieces that you would get in like Apple Jacks. That, that's a bad consistency. This is uh, brilliance, Jake. Just keep going. This is amazing. Sogginess is that and you, here's another one. Fruity Pebbles like got soggy before it even like hit the bowl. Yep, so um, true. Yeah, milk. So like afterwards, how good does the milk taste from the cereal? The longevity is how many bowls you can take before like does the taste start to wear on you? Does you have that aftertaste, that type of stuff? And then mouthfeel, of course, a perfect example. Captain Crunch is going to tear up the roof of your mouth. You know that's coming. So I scored all of them. Scored all sixty cereals, and yeah. So the top three are Cinnamon Toast Crunch Churros, which after writing the article the first time, I found out about from somebody who said, you have to try them. It takes care of the sogginess factor because Cinnamon Toast Crunch does get very soggy very fast. Uh, one is, I think, supremely underrated to this day is the Post Honey O's. It's the ones with the stuff in the middle of the O's. Yes, yes. Super delicious. Uh, they actually used to be called Honey Grammos. And then I... Can we campaign for this? I want people out there to help me. Captain Crunch, I'm like I'm calling you guys out, Quaker people. You need to bring back the sprinkled donut. The sprinkled donut Captain Crunch is people. Oh. This is not yeah, not a lot of people have had this. It is everything that's delicious about Captain Crunch and like the Crunch Berries, but like all into one. It just it is by far the most underrated. I think most one of the most delicious cereals out there. Cocoa Pebbles just missed. I want to always shout out Cocoa Pebbles. If Jake Seeley comes up with a multi-level rubric for cereal, <laughs> how on earth can you not follow his fantasy advice? Who uh, puts more time? In, this could be a separate podcast. You did the podcast, the Olin podcast, Rich Rebar. You guys killed video games. You could do one on cereal here. This could this could be a new trend for you. Uh, it could be. All the, the the biggest pushback I'll get. I'll get. You want me everybody to immediately stop listening to me? Here's how. I do milk first. <laughs> oh, that, that could be like a serial killer thing, sort of. Like, who does the milk first? Uh, cereal, yeah, cereal. <laughs> well, here's my argument for milk first. You can control the cereal from getting soggy by using less or more cereal, depending. Like, and then, 
let me ask everybody out there. When you get a second bowl of cereal, do you pour the milk out and then pour it back in? No, you're pouring cereal into the milk that's left over. You're already doing milk first in your second and third bowl of cereal anyway. Lamar Jackson, MVP, milk first, Josh Jacobs, running back one. I mean, God, folks, if you this this should be charging for this information. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do milk <laughs> first tomorrow. This is you're, effect, you're affecting the world right now during COVID in a positive way, Jake. Very well done. <laughs> I've asked several people this year, what do you do with preseason injuries? So for example, Debo Samuel, what do you do with Debo when someone gets injured? I hear a lot of fantasy analysts say, if they're injured, I'm out. I don't want to draft injured players. But sometimes their ADP gets bumped down where there's actually a value here. So how do you factor that in? And what do you think about Debo as well? Yeah, I think that's always a legitimate concern, but I liken it to this. So Debo is a really good example. Obviously, things can go sideways, and that's part of the risk of anything when you want to put that on your team. But the Debo Samuel sounds like worst case, and I put that in quotes because this is what it sounds like as of today. Worst case, he misses September. Uh, Best case, he's back before the season even starts and ready to roll week one. The more realistic sounds like the middle of September. But so let's go with the worst case because that's where I want to angle with this. Is he out? He misses the first four games. Well, similar to Le'Veon Bell when he was suspended, the first four games. Well, let's talk about what he is after that. Le'Veon Bell plus replacement running back for those first four games was top three running back that year. Uh, Debo Samuel plus replacement wide receiver for those first four games, which again, those first four weeks are more easy to find replacements than later in the season. Not that it's ever like a good time, but there's more available people that were overlooked that break out that you didn't expect where, you know, the waiver pickings, the waiver pickings are easier at the beginning of the season than they are in week 11. You get, you get those first four weeks plus Debo Samuel for the next 12 Again, this is the risk of, you know, you're assuming he comes back and doesn't have uh, aggravation of the injury. But those combined 16 weeks can still be a wide receiver, too, because Debo Samuel will be potentially what we all thought he might be this year's top 20 wide receiver when he's playing. So then you factor in and you say, all right, let me add the risk. Let me add in maybe my picks aren't that great to replace him. And then you take him as a wide receiver three. And the Scott Fishbowl, I remember the 12th freaking round at some point. That's even if he misses half the season, still value. Like, so these are the kind of the games you play as you look at it and say, you got to factor and remember replacement value plus the player. Yes, they're missing weeks, but it's not just, oh, I only get him for 12 weeks. You're still getting somebody to fill a spot. It's not like you're taking zeros. No. And he, when he comes back, he's going to demand those targets because it's really just Kittle. Ayuk is still a, a rookie. So absolutely. He comes back. He's the connection with Garoppolo. performed last year. It's not like he's going to gradually ease back in. When he gets back, he's the man right. there. And, th- and that that's dropping to a level that's crazy. You say round 12? Yeah, round 12. I was super excited to get him in round 12. I'll throw out one name really quick since we're talking about them. Don't forget, this is deeper drafts. He's undrafted, and then he's still undrafted, undrafted. He's way down the list right now. He might climb a little bit. Everybody out there, don't forget about Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd moved to wide receiver in college because he's 6'5", 220. So imagine putting that up running back. He still has that mentality after the catch, not quite as amazing as Debo is after the catch, but has that same vision, has that same ability. Uh, if Jalen Hurd, who missed essentially the entire season last year with the back injury, everybody's talking about maybe it's Kendrick Bourne, maybe it's Trent Taylor, maybe it's all like, I don't just don't forget the name Jalen Hurd. Just throw a couple lottery tickets on him. Another thing, Jake, you nailed last year when you came on the pod was about finding fantasy value on bad teams. I remember you told me in Scott Fishbowl, you talked about uh, drafting DJ Chark uh, as well as another wide receiver on the team because you figured one of them was going to pop and you were right. 
So I want to talk about Cincinnati. Burrow's there. A.J. Green, you talked about. Tyler Boyd had over 160 targets the last two years. John Ross needs a contract. T. Higgins. Jonah Williams has returned. It's a rough division for the Bengals. The three teams there in their division, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland, they have top eight odds in the conference to win the AFC Championship. So Vegas is certainly thinking that's going to be a rough division. Where's the ideal fantasy value in Cincinnati? Yeah, I think right now, uh, well, part of it is in Burrow himself. Uh, you talk about the running upside. The Burrow's got some of that. He's probably got some similarities to Gardner Minshew. Maybe not quite as high, but he's going to run. He'll He'll take off. The thing is, too, is like, yes, Joe Burrow is an anomaly when we talk about college. He wasn't somebody that did have like zero pedigree before this. I mean, there's a reason why he was thought of highly before the transfer. And then we saw that, you know, Joe Brady got the best out of him. So maybe he is a one year wonder Uh, to give you a comparison. People were saying the things about Joe Burrow, about Dwayne Haskins last year, about that. He changed the Ohio State offense. Another similar situation through 50 touchdowns instead of 60. But all that being said is. What if Joe Burrow comes out and he's just Baker Mayfield in the passing department as a rookie and then has the rushing upside? We're talking the fact that Joe Burrow could be QB1 territory, and I think that really is what it comes down to. Uh, A.J. Green, I think, has terrific value to where people aren't sure what to make of him, and that's understandable. We haven't seen him in a very long time. At least we haven't even seen him 100% in a very long time. I think Tyler Boyd's at a reasonable spot right now. He's falling to some values in some spots because I actually think that Tyler Boyd's a great case, too, is you remember what everybody was saying about him last year, don't you, Mike? Remember, oh, he's better when A.J. Green's on the field. Yes, well, that, that's that, right. That went out the yes. window pretty fast, didn't it? Uh, people seem to have forgotten that. It didn't matter whether he's on the field or not. So I think there's a lot of value on this team. I think uh, the only ones I'm not so much in on uh, is John Ross, just because he's the Will Fuller, Mike Wallace is like, a, you know, what weeks am I going to get where he actually shows up for his three catches and 80 yards and a touchdown? Uh, that's just hard to predict. T. Higgins, I think, is going to take some time to develop in the NFL. With the rookies, I actually even said that I think he's got one of the lowest floors of the rookies. I like him. I just think he's a huge bust potential. So it's really down to Burrow, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Mixon and uh, of the receiving department. If we're thinking that this team's going to be down a lot and they're passing, you know, why not go with the Burrow in the passing game? So, Jake, would you take Burrow in a two-quarterback league over like a Ben Roethlisberger, a veteran, or Rivers, somebody like that? Yes, but it depends on what my team makeup is. So okay. when I'm in a two-quarterback or super flex league, I'm always going – well, first of all, I'm going to try to get a third. But my second quarterback is going to depend on what I did with the first. Uh, so it's similar to what we were talking about before. If I have uh, – if I do get a top six or seven quarterback – then I'm going to shoot pure upside with the second one because I'm going to trust the first one. I didn't invest that kind of capital to not trust the first guy. So the second guy might be a Gardner Minshew or you know Joe Burrow. Uh, even you know you could say Ben Roethlisberger, but again, it's all on his arm. Uh, if I'm going with somebody at the first one, which might be like I missed out and now Daniel Jones is my first one, that's where I'm more likely to lean towards a Tom Brady or a Philip Rivers or a Matthew Stafford or something like that to balance it out so I don't completely miss on both and end up with basically zero quarterback production. Excellent point. Listen, middle school is a tough time for kids. I was reminiscing with my friends about some middle school highlights, which we, we loved, of course. Great things, but there could be up and downs there. What's your best memory about middle school? <laughs> 
I thought I didn't have one. <laughs> so I, was, I, I didn't tell you this beforehand. I went to a private school that did kindergarten through sixth and then seventh through twelfth. Ah, so we went, huh. we initially, and we, we like just transitioned. It was two different campuses about a mile apart from each other. So we jumped kind of like seventh. So if you even want to say seventh or eighth, uh, I will say that as, as kitty aside is like, I didn't really have a middle school. I don't remember a lot from that time. I don't know if maybe I had a terrible middle school and I'm just kind of like blocked it <laughs> out. Yeah. So I'm consciously block it so can i jump to ninth grade can we include ninth just just as a because sure, i do have sure. a, a, be, a this is the best moment i'll and i this is my best basketball moment of all first of all i was a three and d player i, I like i'm white six one i've shot a lot of threes played good defense and that was it don't ask me to do anything else uh, i didn't have a lot of jump i didn't have you know i couldn't get to the rim you know don't that's 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 ideal in 2020 jake that's perfect right now it's like look hey yeah i was like the steph curry before that was popular uh (laughs) and this is why i say it because in ninth grade a lot of times there's jv obviously a lot of times we practice with varsity and at the end of one we did a shootout or shot out or what was whatever was that game was knockout knockout thank you that's yeah we're doing that and we started at the free throw line and we got down to like you know, 10, 15 people. And we moved back to the three point line and we kept going and kept going and kept going. And it got down to me and one senior on varsity at the three point line. And he took a step back and shot it. And then I did too. And he kept stepping back and stepping back and stepping back to the point. Now we're like at that 25 to 30 foot range, like almost a Steph Curry three. And he was the one doing it. So first of all, it wasn't me. I wasn't being the cocky one. He was being the cocky one. And then he missed and I made it. So I won knockout over the varsity team in ninth grade. And that's my only good moment from middle school because obviously that's the only thing I remember and everything else was miserable. Oh, man, you got to hold that hand up when that shot went in and keep it going there and then run away in the locker room so you don't get chased by the seniors. But that's, that's a great one. That's the only good memory I think I have. I don't remember anything else. (laughs) All right, it's bus time. I want you to identify the player in the top 10 in ADP at each position that you think has a bus potential. So we're looking at the top 10 there. We're going to go position by position. Let's start with QB. Range of outcomes here. Who's the quarterback that's going in the top 10 that you say, you know what? If they ended up being a bust, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so it's Josh Allen. He's actually in my... Oh, you're breaking my heart. Oh, Look, hey, I was... I was all over the Josh Allen train last year. I own a ton of Josh Allen. That's true. My problem with him is I haven't, this is another column. I had the 11 most overdrafted players and I actually, so here's two things. He's right now. He's QB seven. I actually have him in my projections at QB seven. I don't have a problem with Josh Allen. My problem with Josh Allen is taking that QB seven. I don't see a ceiling higher than that. Mostly because to ask him to have that rushing success, what he did last year, talking about 510 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns. The only other person that's done that in the past decade is Cam Newton. And Cam Newton did it once, well, we got it like one and a half times. It's an absorbent amount of success for a quarterback to be doing that. And I do think he can improve it as a passer. I do think Stefan Diggs coming in is, I, I, this is the perfect thing he needs. Unlike uh, Cam Newton's a great example. I bring this up all the time. The Carolina Panthers learned in an accurate quarterback, you don't give them giant guys like Devin Funches and Kelvin Benjamin because it's still a 50-50 ball. You give them guys who can separate, like Cole Beasley and John Brown and now Stephon Diggs, and you saw them do that late with Cam Newton. The problem is, last year, 3,089 yards and 20 touchdowns. That is miserable. Even if he improves to 3,525 touchdowns, what happens if he only runs for 450 and 5? 
And I'm not like I'm not saying it's just like that offsets everything. That actually his passing increase, which I just gave 500 yards and another four or five touchdowns, is less than the impact of lost rushings. And that's my only problem with Josh Allen is you want to take him there, that's fine. But there's just no room for improvement. And if he doesn't improve passing and does lose in the rushing side, now all of a sudden he's QB 15 or 16. Yeah, the rushing's a big deal. He did have concussions as well. So they may be giving it to Zach Moss a lot more. He's got to convert those rushing. If he doesn't, then I agree. The, the, the low end there on, on Josh Allen is huge. What about running back? Dalvin Cook, maybe Joe Mixon are talking about holdouts this morning. We heard that Jason Peters has just re-signed with the Eagles to play guard. Yeah. So they brought him back because Brandon Brooks, of course, is out with the season-ending torn Achilles. So, Miles Sanders, what do you think? Who, who's the running back in the top 10 that the, you have the most concern about? There's not a lot. Uh, and for my personally top 10, it would be glad I was for now. Yeah. <laughs> Atta boy, yeah. 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 Uh, but of these, I would say it's Joe Mixon, and it's not because of the holdout. It's just, let's go back to what you were talking about with the Bengals. Uh, like, now, it's kind of going to be twofold. First of all, Joe Mixon's getting too much hate for, quote-unquote, not being much of his pass catcher. Like, look, he's a fine pass catcher. Not everybody has to see six targets a game as a running back. He catches most of his targets and does more than most with those targets. So stop with that nonsense. If he only catches 35, I'm fine. But we say that in the passing game, what if this is a pass heavy offense down a lot and all of a sudden he's only getting 12 or 13 carries a game. Giovanni Bernard's mixed in more. They're passing a lot. You know, maybe even to go back to the quarterback, maybe similar to Josh Allen, the addition of Burrow runs a little bit too much inside the 10 yard line and steals a little bit from Joe. As yet, we're nitpicking the top 10 here. I'm just saying there is a world where Joe Mixon, just by a volume standpoint, gets dinged a little bit and falls into like the Q, or I was about to say QB, running back 14, 15 range. Yeah, and he saved a season at the end of last year. So it certainly it, w- it would not be a huge leap to see that happen this year. Wide receiver, who do you think? DeAndre Hopkins changes teams. That's always a concern. Mike Evans with Tom Brady. Amari Cooper struggling against top cornerbacks. Who do you think they're in top 10 wide receivers? A little shaky. Uh, it's Amari Cooper. And it's not even a question for me. I, I I don't get the fascination with Car- Amari Cooper year after year after year after year because yes, he for a long time he's finished as a wide receiver one, but he's been worse than Deshaun Jackson and Deshaun Jackson's prime. And everybody loves to complain and use Deshaun Jackson's example of like, oh my God, when there's good games coming for two straight years. There was very few bad games if you look at his two prime seasons when he was like a Pro Bowler back to back years. Cooper's still worse than that. Cooper has so many single-digit performances, so many games with fewer than seven fantasy points, outplayed by Michael Gallup down the stretch, especially more consistent of Gallup being out there. Uh, Just two years ago, it was even worse for Cooper, and that was before the addition of C.D. Lamb. So it's not that I hate Amari Cooper as a player. I just hate him as a fantasy player. I'm a big fan of Amari Cooper. I always have been. I just hate him in fantasy because of what you have to pay to get him. He's a wide receiver one at the end of the year on a per game basis. He's not just because it's just not the fact that like also you get a wide receiver two performance. There's your wide receiver four performances and they're frequent. That's my problem with Amari Cooper. And if you told me today we got to the end of 2020 and CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup both finished in front of Cooper, I don't think that's a shock. Now, I wouldn't bet on it, but if that happened, do you, would you really be shocked? I think we'd be surprised, but not shocked. And tight end, what do you think here? I told Cole Evan Ingram the Teflon tight end. No matter what happens there, he's still being drafted very highly. Darren Waller, maybe? Who do you have a tight end that you think you know could, could be a bust here? 
Yeah, that's I'm going to go with Darren Waller. Uh, like I like Darren Waller a ton too. Oh, there's a lot of people that liked him last year. I wasn't the only one that wrote him up and said, "Hey, remember this guy? If not for the off-field issues, not for being cut and all that type of stuff." Ingram, obviously, but I feel like that's almost the, the given one because of the injuries with him. Like, let's just be honest. If he's if he's 100 percent or even close to it, like, and he plays 15 games, he's going to be top 10. Like, and uh, Higby's a big one. I'm a fan of Higby. I don't understand why Twitter decided to kill him two weeks ago. Uh, it seems there there seems to be coming back around all of a sudden, but uh, I'm gonna go back to Waller for one thing. One thing only is you know it is a one year quote unquote wonder, and people will say that about Higby, but Higby is better than Everett. Put him aside. We could have a different conversation about him another day. I don't want to take too much time on him. Waller has you know the emergence of Renfro, which I don't think is going to be that much to him this year, but the addition of Rugs, the addition of Brian Edwards, a healthy Tyrell Williams. The backfield just being stronger and Josh Jacobs' second season. It just comes down to is that volume going to be there? Because if you looked at it down, you talked about down the stretch for some of these players. Down the stretch when Renfro was on the field, Waller's number started to shake towards the end of the year, and that's my concern: is the volume there for Waller, Waller this year? Yeah, especially because prior to that, it, when you're looking at Darren Waller, you're looking the last few years. He had, let's see, in his career, two receptions, 10 receptions, six receptions, 90 receptions. So it's certainly here, whether it's it's likely to be an outlier. If you saw a bus coming, that would not surprise me. Time for redraft lightning around here. Jake, tell me which player quickly you like better for redraft at their current ADP. Tight end up first, Blake Jarwin, tight end 18, or Janu Smith, tight end 17? Uh, I don't I don't love either one, but I'm going to go with Janu. Matchup problem. Uh, if Corey Davis bombs again, uh, he could be the number two for this team. And Ryan Tannehill, obviously, volume is a concern. But Blake Jarwin comes back to you. There's just, he, at best, this is CeeDee Lamb a bust, and he's still the fourth option behind Zeke and two wide receivers. I just don't see how Blake Jarwin even gets 70 targets this year unless somebody bombs or gets hurt. Where are you on the Bills' backfield? I've done a 180 on this one over the last <laughs> few months. Devin Singletary at RB24 or Zach Moss, who's still at RB46? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's the same that I've done because in the draft process, I was the one of the biggest pushbacks on Zach Moss. And going back to similarly to the Singletary, or not Singletary, the uh, David Montgomery. It's like, stop. Zach Moss is not that good. But Zach totally Moss agree. in yep. this role is good. <laughs> Zach Moss at RB46 taking over Frank Gore's job and – Despite my dislike for Zach Moss's hype, I think he's better than Frank Gore at this point. And if you put him in that role at RB46, I'm going to take that over Devin Singletary, who I think finishes exactly around that spot again, because Singletary, Singletary, he's not going to get the goal line carries, not going to get the tough yardage. He's not even going to score that many touchdowns as a receiver. It's just Singletary is perfectly fine at RB24, but the value is with Moss. Safety or upside next at wide receiver. Jamison Crowder, wide receiver 45, or Miko Hartman making maybe a push this year, wide receiver 42. So I'll, I'll kind of give you my answer by saying something different. You mean Terry McLaurin for the Jets? Like, why is everybody so off Jamison Crowder? Like, <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, I understand Sam Dart. Like, but everybody, nobody likes Dwayne Haskins. I think, see, like, me and Emery Hunt are, like, the two few left on the Dwayne Haskins bandwagon. But... Jamison Crowder, I'm not saying like, oh, go draft him in the 20s, but he could conceivably and should lead this team in targets and receptions. I'm a Hardman fan, but he's Tyreek Hill, and you've seen the numbers by Evan Silva out there in the games where Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins were both on the field. What was it, 13 receptions or 13 targets? Yep. Uh, yep. I just, it's very productive on a per touch basis with the touchdowns, but if everybody's healthy, and I don't even like Sammy Watkins this year, but if everybody's healthy, where is the volume for Michael Hartman? It's just not there. 
And Kelvin Harmon, we heard this morning, tore his ACL while training prior to training camp. So he's looking on 2021. Terry McLaurin, wheels up, by the way, in Washington, for sure. I had a decent amount of Kelvin Harmon shares. Those went all at the window, by the way. Like, Yeah, I had some as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Steven Sims time. Yeah, Steven Sims, of course. Asked it last week. I want your take. Aaron Rodgers, who's now a QB 13, or Baker Mayfield, post-type sleeper, QB 15? Yes, I kind of like both of these. I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers barely for one reason. Uh, we talked about how he looked like he was part of the problem last year, but I kind of I had him in the dumpster dive for one reason, and I go back two years where just two years ago threw for 4,400 yards and 25 touchdowns. That's not that great. That's, that's a low bar for Aaron Rodgers. That's a low bar for a lot of quarterbacks, 25 touchdowns. But 4,425, because of the little, just that little bit of added rushing upside, if he would have just done that again last year, do you know where he would have finished last year? You probably don't. I'm kind of, do you want to guess where he would have finished last year with those numbers? Gosh, would you have said QB8? QB5. Wow. In front of Jameis Winston last year. Obviously, Jameis Winston, big ding because of their interceptions with that. But yes, 306.6 fantasy points. He would have finished as QB5. Maybe QB6, like that. It's very yep. close depending on which what site you play for. But that's my point. I, I'm not even on Aaron Rodgers this year. At QB, his, some sites have him as ADP going around 9 or 10. At 13, though, I'll take the gamble on him because it's still Aaron Rodgers. And I. I don't love the guy, but Devin Funches or Alan Lazard, who I actually like Lazard more, but somebody steps up and Sternberger in a mix of everything. And all of a sudden, you know, an extra two, 300 yards and he's back inside the top 10 just in a snap. Last one. Let's see if we're in lockstep twice here again. Better flex Tariq Cohen or Matt Breida? Matt Breida. Because they're very close in value, but one has the upside to be the running back of the lead, the lead option running back. The other doesn't, and that's Matt Breida. Jordan Howard ends up being disappointing at some point, falls off. Jordan Howard's fine. Jordan Howard's always fine. I actually own him in a few leagues. He does what he does and not much else, and that's why I'm not a big fan of his talent, but in fantasy, he's the lead option right now. But he could falter a few weeks, and then Matt Breida takes over. Even if David Montgomery falters, they're still going to keep going with him. They're still going to try and make sure that this draft pick that he invested in, and his, he does have plenty of talent despite I've disparaged him like I think two or three times already. Uh, Tariq Cohen's not built. He's never going to be the lead option, even if everything goes wrong. they saw You saw when they tried Mike Davis for a little while there. They're going to try somebody else. So Tariq Cohen's role is set. Matt Breida could at least near about 20 touches per game if something goes wrong with Howard. Matt Breida could be Austin Eckler East, absolutely, in that offense with Miami. Are you a sitcom guy, Jake? Give me two of your favorite sitcoms of all time. Are we going back Happy Days, Three's Company, any of that stuff? No, no. I was actually, so I'm just letting you know right now, this is what I do. I, I'm cheating on your answer. I'm giving you, I'm giving, well, because I'm giving you two sets of threes. I'm giving you live comedies and then I'm giving you animated comedies because I have so many. It's a machine. You are a machine. I, I couldn't. So, top three comedies Seinfeld, Community, and for everybody out there that's going to complain about it and blah, 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 it's just such easy humor. I do love Friends. Laugh track or not, guess what? Seinfeld had a laugh track. Stop with the laugh track nonsense. I understand you can have a successful show without it, but if Seinfeld could do it for everybody complaining that's why they hate Friends, get over it. The Friends is one of the most iconic shows of all time. I understand some of it hasn't aged that well. I get tired of some of the episodes, but it would be in my top three. And then animated-wise, because I feel like all these deserve to be there too, it's South Park, Futurama, and then Rick and Morty with a special mention for Final Space because it's kind of like a dramedy. Go watch it. I, Olin Rogers I had on my podcast. Dramedy, Super yeah. Super good. Yeah. Go watch Final Space if you have it. Just please do that. But the other three, everybody knows, South Park, Futurama, and Rick and Morty. So I give you six. 
Folks, you can't ask Jake Seely a question without a strong opinion. I love it. You have a hot take of serial sitcoms. <laughs> this is outstanding. Ask him anything you want, folks. You want him to rank his favorite states in order? He will have a rubric <laughs> and a rank system. It's perfect. Oh, I can tell you, South Dakota is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, Jake, who are you a truther for? Who's your guy? I'm going to give you two. I'm going to get a running back and a wide receiver. Running back, Darius Geis. I, I will continue to say I think he's better than Leonard Fournette, who he replaced at LSU. I think it, mostly in the fact that Leonard Fournette's a dump-off pass catcher, as I mentioned earlier in the show. I think Geis can be more than that. These Very similar career path. Injuries, first two years, a little bit worse than Leonard Fournette, but similar to Miles Sanders, where you know the, the good thing is you don't have to pay that price to get him. You can still get him at a super deep discount. It's like an RB4. But once up to 100%, I think he can lead that backfield. I do think a pass catcher of Gibson or Love or somebody's going to be involved, but I'm a big fan of Geis' talent. If we could just see what a healthy Geis looks like, please. And then the one that I actually drafted in the Scott Fishbowl, he's following Devontae Parker's career path. Corey Davis is super talented. It, yes, it's Ooh. been a huge disappointment so far, and he's probably in a really bad spot with Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown and that offense to run first, run first, run first, and it's a very bad spot to rebound. But I, I just for the fact that he's free, do you remember, everybody remember where Corey Davis was going last year? He is free now. He's so undrafted, it's ridiculous. I still believe in the talent. It, it, maybe it's Devontae Parker. We have to wait a whole nother year, but I'm still I'm a sucker for Corey Davis. No, that's fair. I, I mean, Corey Davis has the draft capital. Uh, you know, he was he was the fifth overall pick there. And listen, if Derrick Henry gets injured, don't want to root for injuries, but if Derrick Henry gets injured, that offense could change in a dime. And he is basically free right now. It's totally true. Jake, great job. One last question. I'll get you out of here. Uh, tremendous stuff. Put the amazing Kreskin hat on. Give us the prediction. Give us the bold Jake Seeley prediction that you think has a chance of happening, even though there's a lar- large range of outcomes there. <laughs> 2020, what do you think? So uh, you can, I'll put one more piece for you. I did a bold prediction for all 32 teams over on the site. I'm going to Las Vegas for this one, and it's going to involve the Denver Broncos. My bold prediction is Henry Ruggs outscores Cortland Sutton as a rookie. Oh! You look. You wanted me to go bold. You want me to bring it to the show. Uh, I'm going huge here. People have seemingly forgotten that Derek Carr made two wide receivers in the same year of Cooper and Crabtree wide receiver ones. People also don't realize that Henry Ruggs is more than just a deep threat. If somebody compares him to Ted Ginn one more time, I'm going to punch him square in the nose. Stop with that. Henry Ruggs is an amazing wide receiver. Now, this is a bold prediction. If you ask me to go to Vegas and put money on it, I'm obviously going to get great odds on this. But Carr attempting 550 passes with Ruggs as his number one and the rest of the crew there versus Judy, Gordon, Lindsay, Noah Fant, and whatever they decide to be the number two next to Cortland Sutton. Tell me there's not a situation where, you know, Henry Ruggs does better than Cortland Sutton. That is a brilliant, bold prediction. Could absolutely happen. Great job. Folks, Jake Seely, fastest hour around. Have to follow him on Twitter, at AllInKid. You can find him on The Athletic Fantasy. His podcast, All In, is a must-listen. Must and when it comes to rankings, folks, you can see it there in the multi-year accuracy on Fantasy Pros. He is at the top with all the greats. Just an outstanding job. Jake, thanks so much for a few minutes here. Great job, as always. Good luck. We're hoping for a full 16-game season, man. But a lot of great insight you gave us today. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Mike. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. 
Contact us via email, rotavizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotavizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.